Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode eight of Faith Practically. I'm Darian Claxon. My special guest today is Pierre Quinn. He is a leadership innovator. He's a professional speaker. Uh, he's a pastor. He's a husband. He's a father. And he's the author of the new book, Leading While Scared, which we'll get into today, among other topics. Thank you for being here. Uh, let's, let's start off with prayer. Father in heaven, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, lead and direct our conversation today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So we appreciate you taking the time. We know you're a busy man. You, you travel the country. You do uh, leadership seminars, workshops, full-time pastor. Um, now, I did want to say this because my listeners are not aware of this. There are actually two people who are directly responsible hmm. for this podcast. First is my sister. So my sister moved in with us the beginning of last year when my, my second son was born. We were still in Arizona, and she's 20 years old. She's in her 20s, doesn't go to church, mm -hmm. uh, just like I did when I was that age. But <laughs> at that time, we didn't have a pastor at our church, so us elders, we were in the rotation to preach, and so she would always come out when I preached. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, she would always say, great job, that was podcast worthy. And I was like, podcast worthy like up to that point i was late to the game with podcasts so i i knew about espn sports podcasts and i used to listen to those but like the idea that just a, an average person could have their content have their material build up their following like i hadn't never heard of that so i started listening to podcasts started putting some content together and over the course of several months it just kind of sat there you know we got ready to move cross country and even by the time we got back to the dmv i hadn't done anything with it until I came across your podcast, Leading While Green, which, which by the way, is, it's based on your book of the same name. Mm -hmm. uh, shameless plug, this book is kind of the spiritual successor to mm -hmm. that one. You don't have to read Leading While Green to read this. It's got great resources on its own, but I would go ahead and cop Leading While Green too. I mean, nobody's gonna watch Rocky too <laughs> if they have not seen Rocky, right? So go ahead and get both of those. But anyway, so I'm binge, binge listening to your podcast. It's very powerful everywhere I went. And I came across this episode when you were talking about content and how, you know, you it's easier to criticize and yeah, consume yeah. as opposed to create yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you were saying, hey, if you got that book that you started writing, that project that you began working on, that song, that whatever, um, you know, just get it done. Get it done. So fortunately, you know, I listened to that and God used you to inspire. So thank you for being an inspiration to me and several other individuals. So the first question I have for you is obviously your call to the ministry does mm -hmm. not look like everybody else's, yeah. particularly your passion for leadership. So kind of, you know, you don't have to give us our whole life story, but how do those two mesh in the path to where you are now? Like which kind of came first? Did one lead to the other? What did that journey look like for you? So I grew up, I would say I grew up as the average church kid, you know, the average in our particular faith system, Adventism. A, a typical Adventist church mm -hmm. kid. All of my family was involved in some ministry capacity. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was head deaconess. Mm -hmm. My mother was community service director. My father was personal ministries director. My aunt was head usher. My <laughs> uncle was deputy director of the leadership program we have in Adventism called Pathfinders for, mm -hmm. for teens, teaching them leadership and life and spiritual principles. So my family is fully integrated into a ministry of the church. At the same time, my father is an entrepreneur. Mm. Him and my grandmother, my, aunt, my aunts and my uncle have this business, this commercial dry cleaning and laundry business that they have been running for several years. So I'm watching my family navigate the in-church ministry space 
and the entrepreneurial space, and I'm growing up in the middle. Mm. And they say about me, I think what they say about all, mostly boys growing up in the church mm. who, who are okay with the microphone, mm -hmm. if you give a speech in church, they're gonna say, you should be a pastor right, one day. Right. And that was the moniker that I lived under mm. at 19 years old, people saying, you're gonna be a pastor one day. So hearing this, actively participating in ministry, watching my parents in ministry, watching my family in entrepreneurship, and sort of amalgamating into this thing where by the time I get to college, I have to make a decision. And everybody says, go do theology. And I say, nope. Mm. Now, part of the reason why I did not pick theology was because I saw what my pastor went through. Mm. I saw my pastor, I saw how, how he and his family struggled. I, he, would, he was conference evangelist, he was pastoring three churches, he had, I think, five kids, and things were tight. And he would be gone two or three weeks at a time, mm. preaching at, at some spot, doing evangelism. And I didn't know at the time that he needed to do that, not just to share the gospel, but also to survive mm. with his family. So all of those stories come into play, and I say, nah, I'm not doing theology. So I, I go undecided for two years, and by the time I finally come back and get my head on straight and go to school, I, I said, <laughs> it sounds funny thinking about it, <laughs> what's the closest I can get to theology but not be theology? Right, right. So I, I did a major in communication. Okay. And I went back into speaking and doing ministry on my college campus, finished undergrad, and my friends said, hey, go to the seminary with us. I said, nah. Not doing that. I'm trying to make some money. <laughs> I know how much you guys make. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Yeah, I know how much you make, and I know what you go through. Mm -hmm. And I said I'm not interested. So I did a ma I did a master's in communication. Started teaching at my university, Andrews University, and started doing fundraising. A lot of doors opened it up to me. Man, it was great. Mm -hmm. It was great. I took a job here in the Washington D.C. area, NGO known as Adra International, mm -hmm. an arm of the Seventh Day Adventist Church that works in nonprofit work. Mm. And I worked there for about a year, and I said, this is not it. <laughs> and I couldn't sleep at night. And I ended up going back to Andrews to go into uh, theological training to be a pastor in the mm. seminary. And I remember getting back to campus and falling asleep like a baby that night. And just going through when I was three years, now I'm full time in theological studies. Mm -hmm. I'm working two jobs mm. because you have to survive. Right, I'm right. teaching at Andrews. I'm teaching at a public college in Indiana. I'm a freelance graphic designer. I'm doing all these things. What I didn't know at the time was that I was exercising those same entrepreneurial muscles mm. that I learned growing up. Mm -hmm. Actively involved in ministry, a student pastor at a church, and still doing all these entrepreneurial things. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of always been there. Mm -hmm. And you know, three years of theological training, I get a church in Kentucky, and I'm doing in-church ministry. And it's, it's crazy that I'm, this is the first time in talking to you that I'm actually walking this out. Mm. I'm doing full-time ministry that I grew up doing in church, but I'm trying to figure out why is there an itch that I can't scratch. Hmm. And the other component that I needed was the component that I grew up in doing that entrepreneurial creative work. And when I started to see, because I had lived a life of doing them both, mm -hmm. when I started to see, okay, you need to lean into that other area to be a good steward of everything that God has given to you, then that's how doors 
started opening and I started to feel like a whole person mm. again. Mm. Wow, wow, that's powerful. So it sounds like you were very incomplete just staying on the faith side. Like, so you were doing that and we imagine, we know that the Holy Spirit is the one who put that desire mm -hmm. in you to go next level. So that kind of talks, brings us into this talk about authenticity because a lot of our listeners they are not in full-time ministry. I mean, if mm -hmm. you're doing full-time, yeah. you yeah. live and you breathe the Bible and God, so, so being true to who you are from a faith standpoint, no big deal. But you have the average person, they're, they're CPA, they're a programmer, they're a lawyer. And so kind of tell us what kind of challenges you've dealt with as mm -hmm. you've traveled and you've, you've done your entrepreneurial aspect where you still want to be true to who you are as a man of faith, passionate uh, about Christ, but also realizing that people in your audience are not trying to hear this stuff, right? I mean, they just want the content. They want to be better leaders. They want to, they want to uh, better themselves, and they don't want any of the proselytizing. So what kind yeah. of things have you dealt with, and what can you tell someone who may be struggling with the temptation of compromising just to satisfy their career? Well, I think, if, I think framing, framing is a big thing for me. Context is a big thing for mm -hmm. me, especially in Bible study and Bible teaching. So when I think full-time ministry, I always want to qualify that by, mm -hmm. by, by saying full-time pastoral ministry gotcha because full the the those of us in the pastoral space have hijacked the term mm -hmm. ministry mm -hmm. and we've hijacked the phrase full-time ministry so what do you do if you're a teacher in a in a, in a christian school are you not in full-time ministry right. true, and true. then this whole calling thing i believe that god has called everyone to two specific areas mm -hmm. one you're called to a relationship with him mm -hmm. regardless of who you are regardless of even if you acknowledge god or not you're called to relationship with him. And then you're called to do something specific for the kingdom. And the calling looks different depending on the person. But no matter if you're a pastor or not, everyone is called to full-time ministry because your life should exhibit that relationship. No matter what, if I'm a baker, if I'm a CPA, if I'm a teacher, if I'm a pastor, my life should be should be ministry. Mm -hmm. And one of the jokes that people would say, you know, growing up or even in college, well, there's certain things that you can't do because mm -hmm. you're studying to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's okay for you to do them. Right, like right. if we're both ministers, if we're both supposed to live life of sacrifice, then these standards should be, should be across the board. Now, what, I, what I've come to find out is that People want to hear the gospel, but sometimes what makes the difference is the wrapping paper. Okay, I like that. So there are times when I've gone places to speak, and what I've been speaking really have been my sermons. Mm -hmm. I've just taken the chapter and the verse out, right. but given them much of the content okay. uh, of my sermon. Mm -hmm. And I'll have people that walk up to me, and some people read my bio and some people don't. And some people have said, have you ever thought about being a pastor? <laughs> Do you go to church? Yeah, yeah. Um, and every speaking engagement, there is always an opportunity to pray with someone. Mm -hmm. the, um, and these are secular mm -hmm. environments. These are not, and when we say secular, we mean just not church spaces. Right, right. These are environments where I'm not there to preach. I'm not there to evangelize. Mm -hmm. I'm there to talk about my topic. My topic is leadership. Mm -hmm. But God always provides a way mm -hmm. for me to have a, at least one spiritual level conversation and really the the leadership topic and material 
that's just the outreach tool. Mm -hmm. That's no different than handing out food mm -hmm. or, or handing out clothes. That's the hook. And when people get essentially grabbed by the hook, then that sets the platform for talking about other things. And people, they want to talk about, you know, they've lost someone. Mm -hmm. and how do I handle it? Or I'm, have, I'm not having a good relationship with my family. And mm -hmm. how do you keep it all together? And those are the, the gateways to having, well, I tell people I'm a person of faith, but what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And I can talk about mm -hmm. my belief. But if I had started with that, walls been up, right. shut down. Right. I've had event planners tell me, uh, we know you're a pastor. Mm -hmm. This is not that. Mm -hmm. Don't talk about that. Okay. But my rule is, if someone else brings it up, I kick the door open. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I said, Lord, put me in a place where someone will bring it up. And every single time over the past six years, mm. there's always that opportunity mm. to talk about my faith sure. and to help people with their faith. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had a situation where you felt like you were tempted to, I would say compromise, but where you felt like, wow, <clears throat> you had to really think about what you were about to say or do or even accepting or turning down an assignment because it was going to go against your faith? So most of it stems around scheduling. Mm. And people will say, are you available on the weekends? Mm -hmm. And I just say no. Right. And there have been some very lucrative mm. opportunities that okay. have come along. And people, we need a person on this day. Right, right. You no, know, I put it in a way where it, you know, in the in the speaking space, in the in the performance space, the entertainment space, there are just certain non-negotiables, right, and I had right. to get comfortable with those non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. My non-negotiables are essentially I am not available Friday afternoon mm -hmm. till Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. That's a non-negotiable, mm -hmm. and people have come along and say, "Listen, we have X amount of dollars for you to come." Sure. And I've started to frame well. If God always presents me with a ministry opportunity, right. can I frame it under that? Mm. And there, there have been strong like leanings, so you should try or go for it. Mm. But those are my non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. And maybe it makes my runway a little bit longer. Mm. Maybe it closes off some opportunities. But in terms of integrity, this is, this is my faith system, and this is what I stand for. Sure. And I'm going to stick by it. But God always provides mm -hmm. a way to continue to move forward, mm -hmm. especially when a major door has closed. Sure, sure. And all that's a slippery slope for many people because you can argue, hey, God is using this opportunity uh -huh. for me to reach somebody that I wouldn't otherwise have the chance to. So even though we may be tantalized by the money, we may yeah. rationalize and say, hey, you know, there might be somebody there from Friday afternoon to Sunday morning who God has called me to reach. And so yeah. is it something where you have shut the door completely or do you pray every single time that opportunity comes up to make sure that there's not something, there's not an exception as it were? Yeah, no, I don't. I look at um, the, the conversation with Moses and God mm -hmm. at the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. And the people are upset, Pharaoh's pursuing behind, mm -hmm. the, the Red Sea is in front, the wilderness is on the side. and. God's like, why are you crying out to me? Mm. You know what to do. Move forward. And my living this out for me, faith practically, my formula may not be your formula. Right. So for me and my personal spirituality mm. and my faith, this is the formula that works for me. Sure. Having this set it, because it's not just about, okay, possibly there's someone for 
for me to reach. It's also, I need my downtime. That's right. I need my personal reflection. I need my time of worship mm -hmm. and rejuvenation. Mm -hmm. And if I don't make space for that, everything else will come crowding in. So sure. part of it is my professional standard, as it were. Mm -hmm. But the part of it is my practical faith says that I need time. Right. And when I look at when I look at scripture, this is the time mm -hmm. for me to rejuvenate. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I live by. Will, will temptations and opportunities continue to come? I'm sure they will. Sure. And my framing is this is, and I found that the respect level goes mm -hmm. up when yes. you say this is my framing. Oh, sure. This is, there's some people you call, they say, listen, I'm not available on Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. So life works around right. their Tuesdays. Right. I'm not available during this time. And people respect that you're actually standing for something and you're committed to to a belief or a practice or whatever. Mm -hmm. you, you find that the respect level increases sure. a bit when you're interacting with people. Mm -hmm. One thing we've said on the show, I believe it was on the audio version, is that we should all have axioms. We should all mm -hmm. have things that this is my line in the sand, I'm not going to cross it. And it's up to you. We cannot follow a cookie cutter plan to say, okay, it's always going to be this way. The Holy Spirit guides us, but once we get to that point, we're locked in. The same with me. I mean, when I travel, Saturday is non-negotiable. Yeah. I mean, and people understand that. And so, if you if you compromise, then they will expect you to say, "Oh, maybe if I keep going at him, then he will change his mind. If I throw enough money at him, whatever." But if you are consistent with that, then obviously there's an opportunity for for respect. Mm -hmm. um, so, obviously, talking about your busy schedule, you know, you you're a husband, you're a father, two daughters which I, I got to pray for men with daughters. <laughs> my wife and I actually wanted to have a boy and a girl. We ended up with two boys, and all mm -hmm. of my friends that have daughters say, you don't know what you were asking for. <laughs> um, but you also like books. Yeah. And uh, you're more of a paperback guy. I like audio. Mm -hmm. uh, matter of fact, I've read one paperback book this year. That's this one. Um, <laughs> I, I'm on the go a lot, so I like that. I have my pen and paper with me. But, you know, talking about balancing faith with practicality, there's a school of thought that, one extreme says all of our education should be Christian education. We shouldn't go to the world. All of our yeah. books should be, it should be the Bible and the Bible alone, or maybe these Christian authors that are talking about faith. So that's one side. And the other side of the spectrum is, well, as long as I'm maintaining some kind of relationship with the Most High, I can read whatever. I can consume whatever. What you talk about in your book about your diet. Mm -hmm. now, obviously, I know that you're not on either extreme, but what do you say to somebody in terms of you know wanting to manage their diet and what they consume and they want to help themselves, they want to grow as a leader in their career, what's kind of a litmus test in determining what to read or what school to go to and what not to do? So I have a, I have a unique filter and I'm the type of guy where I'll put a book down. Mm, sure. Yeah. I will, if, I'm, if I'm reading through it and something just doesn't resonate or it doesn't feel right, mm -hmm. I will discard the book. Mm -hmm. Now, what I think we miss sometimes as persons of faith is the ability to go into a situation and discern. Mm -hmm. we, we lose so many people because we're not willing to go in and say, okay, what's going on here? Well, I look at Paul's, Paul's, some of his ministry methodology, mm -hmm. and he could go into a situation, people who didn't believe the way he believed, mm -hmm. he understood their theology, he understood their practices, he understood their lifestyle, and he could speak knowledgeably mm -hmm. and then bring in his perspective on the gospel mm -hmm. to meet where they were. 
I feel like for some of us, and everyone doesn't have this particular calling, uh, I believe, but so, for some of us, in order to reach people, and let me, tell you, let me put it this way, a good friend of mine, one of my closest friends, his, his parents are missionaries. Okay. And the, the praxis for them as missionaries, mm. for three years, three years plus or minus, they can't talk about their faith. Mm. Mm-hmm. For three years, they yes. have to go in, right. learn the culture, mm-hmm. learn the people, contribute to the society, understand the ups and downs and, and the challenges. Mm-hmm. And after, after that saturation and bridge building and relationship building, then they can take steps to introduce this, this, their faith practically into the culture. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you do for three years? <laughs> you have to know, you have to learn what's their literature, mm-hmm. what are their cultural norms, and that requires you, now Bible's my baseline, right. but that requires me to be introduced to materials with my filter mm-hmm. that give me a knowledge base on what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And I also believe that, that so the, the, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Comes from the Father. That means to me, even if you don't acknowledge the gift mm-hmm. that's good and perfect, mm-hmm. it still comes from God. And there are many people who are practically using their gift. Take a gift of writing. Mm-hmm. I don't acknowledge God. God has given me this gift. And the gift produces quality content. I don't know or resonate with this is a God-given gift that will cause me to put this words mm-hmm. to paper. And through my God-given gift, even though I don't acknowledge God, there's a chance that somebody could read that and make a change in their life. Mm-hmm. Ba- even though I haven't acknowledged mm-hmm. that the Father of Lights has given me this gift. Sure. And I think all of us are in that realm. When, all, when people are proficient, I remember an elder at my former church, he worked at a major hospital, and he said a doctor walked out of surgery one day, and he said another successful surgery. And guy walks by, my former church, my former elder said, well, praise God. Mm. You know, he's a person of faith, well, praise God. Mm. And the surgeon was like, <laughs> praise I did God. It. I did, it. <laughs> I did this. Yeah, yeah. And my elder was like, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm mm-hmm. a person of faith, you know, whatever, the, however the exchange went. Mm-hmm. But that's a clear example. God is using someone to save and heal lives. Mm-hmm. That's not even acknowledging right. that God is the one. And I think we just, everyone should have a filter. Don't take everything uh, and swallow it whole. I I think the more we ask for discernment, ask Mm -hmm. God for discernment, the more he will give it to us. Mm -hmm. And you got to be careful because people, some people intentionally weave their their beliefs Mm -hmm. into material. Mm -hmm. And you can only acknowledge that by discernment. Mm -hmm. And for me, if I get a feeling that I should put this down, I'm going to put it down. But that doesn't prevent me from, sometimes to reach a person, a business person, I'll have to read a business book. Right. I'll have to know these are the major players, these are the historical figures in business. And once we develop a rapport, I can say, well, let me introduce you to a, another business fi- figure. Sure. Let me sure. introduce you to another ideator. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an ancient Near Eastern example mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. Well, where does that come from? Well, I'm a person of faith. Mm-hmm. I actually got this story from the Bible. No way. Yeah, yeah, I actually did. Let's let's turn. Let me show you. Yeah. So, receptivity, discernment, are are very important. But you also have to exercise caution. 
I don't read everything. Mm. I don't read every leadership business book. Mm. I don't I don't I don't consume everything because I'm asking God for discernment. Mm. And some stuff I've walked away with books I've paid good money for. Mm. I've I said nope, that's not for me. Sure, sure. I know a book I can think about is Think and Grow Rich, where the first time I read the book, loved the book. Mm -hmm. And he quotes the Bible, Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Quotes the Bible all throughout, but I was in a different place spiritually. Mm -hmm. And for me, reading that book now, there's some ideas that I wrestle with mm -hmm. for me to recommend that to somebody else. But I kind of like what you said. I mean, each person has to approach it differently. Each yeah. person has to have their own. Because there, there are things that I may be able to read and the filter works perfectly. There's all kind of foolishness in there, and I'm able to read it and get extract from it some utility that yeah. helps me in my walk. Yeah. But it may be a stumbling block for somebody else. So I believe that key of asking for discernment is very important. So Paul says, there's some things that I don't consider to be sins. Mm. But for the sake of my brother, right. I won't do it. Exactly. And I think that's a good approach to have. Mm. Like this might, There's some books on the same vein. I don't recommend those books to people mm. because I recognize the theological sprinkling that's happening. A lot of what we determine are self-help books mm. are very humanistic. Yes. Uh, saying that if we as human beings just band together, right. we can fix all of our problems. Uh, very individualistic, very narcissistic. Mm -hmm. You can do it yourself. Mm -hmm. That's not my paradigm. Mm -hmm. So when I come across those things, sometimes I filter through them, sometimes I throw them away, or if I've gleaned something for it, I won't even recommend it to someone else because I don't want that person to necessarily wrestle with mm -hmm. that idea. Mm -hmm. Because that, that can really pull, that whole language to pull yourself up by your bootstraps yeah. is such a faulty premise. Sure, sure. My faith tells me, mm -hmm. and I'm not trying to infringe on anybody else's faith, mm -hmm. you cannot pull yourself up by right. your bootstraps. Because if you could, <laughs> you wouldn't be in this situation in the first place. Mm -hmm. You need a source greater than you my belief is that source is God, greater than you, to help you become what he has called you to be. So this whole notion of you can do it yourself, just believe in yourself, just trust in yourself, I, I don't buy that. Right. And I don't, I don't even communicate that when I talk to people. So, Are there some safe words that you use that, you know, because you don't want to stress the idea of it being about me. Yeah. <clears throat> but if you're encouraging someone to be a better leader in whatever capacity, sphere of influence they have, you obviously need to walk that fine line. So are there certain maybe key words that people grab onto after the fact and say, hey, what did you mean by that? Mm -hmm. What are some things that you may use to, to again, finding a balance, yeah. not offending anybody, but you're also not glorifying that worldly notion? Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, people are okay with the word belief. Okay. So I always ask people, you know, what do you believe in? Mm -hmm. What drives you? Mm -hmm. And what drives you should really be the compass of mm -hmm. your life. Mm -hmm. Now, I know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about a relationship with God. Right. But whatever processing they do in that moment, mm -hmm. that's with them. Mm -hmm. But people resonate. They're okay. Belief is a comfortable word. Community is also a com comfortable mm -hmm. word. What's your community? What's the space or place that you find support and you find counsel and that you can grow? Now, I know what I'm talking about. Sure, sure. I'm talking about my faith community and my church life. And then when people ask, they'll say, where do you find community? Mm. Oh, glad, glad you, you asked. asked. <laughs> right. And what beliefs drive you? Mm. Oh, glad you asked. Kick that door open. Right. Yeah. So finding these 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 word neutral words, mm. and it's it's 
it's really interesting. In our, in our faith tradition, we've always done this. Mm. Old school, when we used to do old school tent revivals and evangelism, outdoor evangelism, one of the things that you never did was you never said what church it was from. Right, right. Why? Because you wanted to be a neutral, it was a, a church preaching, singing, neutral. And you know if you put the words or specific church out there, it would put a wall up. Mm -hmm. So we're, we are used to using neutral terms and phrases and methodologies mm -hmm. to reach people. And then when, once, once they become comfortable, this is what we're really about. This is what we do. This is just a different way of doing the same sure. thing. Sure, sure. Good stuff, good stuff. I want to get into your book, um, Leading While Scared. And firstly, I want to ask, what was your inspiration? Because obviously, again, at some point you were pastoring multiple congregations, yeah. husband, father, and so to add an author, and I think before this you had done some devotionals and things yeah. like that, mm -hmm. but what kind of drove you to got, go full force into authorship of, I wouldn't call it a secular book, but a book mm -hmm. that would appeal to someone out there? Where did you find that inspiration uh, to say, I'm going to invest this time into this particular avenue? I have to really acknowledge one of, one of my friends, Leslie Samuel, okay. he is a former professor at Andrews, um, and he is fully in the social media and blogging space now. Left his job as a professor at Andrews. Okay. Like when you look at social media and marketing, he is one of the top, top guys. Okay. Like he's up there. When I went to seminary, I was writing a little devotional blog, and he, he said, come to my office. He came to my office and he says, Stop using that particular platform. Mm. I'm going to set you up. I'm going to pay for, he paid for a whole bunch of stuff. And he said, I'm going to set you up with a blog. Here you go. Mm. And I was writing little devotional pieces and little leadership pieces. And people started making comments and following. I said, okay, this is interesting. So I kept writing and I kept writing. I said, but I don't really like blogging. Like that's not my thing. But I kept writing for a couple more years. And then when I entered, so that's three years of seminary, I enter full-time pastoral ministry, and I'm writing, but I'm just not feeling fulfilled from writing my blog. And I have all of these materials, all of the sermons, all of this research, and I get to a point where I'm just frustrated because I'm trying to find the thing that speaks to where I am. And that's, that's, that's an insider's tip. If you're trying to find the thing to, that speaks to where you are and you can't find it, that's usually an indicator that you're called to create it. Mm. I'm trying to find the book that speaks to a 30-something 30, 30 leader with multiple responsibilities that's not so aspirational and only looking at people 10, 20 years down the road mm. who are so far and I can't resonate with. So I just said, I'm going to write it. And I started writing some things, and then I was like, I don't want to write. This is too much. I can't. I can't. Now, here's the thing. The thing is, I had the time. I just had to reallocate it. Okay. Get up early. Don't watch TV. Don't watch sports. You have time. We have enough time. It's how we allocate that time. And then something rough happened. I had these notes for a book, and I felt this pressing, this urge to finish it, and I didn't. And we were pastoring multiple congregations at the time. My wife's 
stay-at-home mom. We got two, two small girls, and we're trying to make our salary work on our responsibilities. For our responsibilities, I kept hearing God say, I told you to write something. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, I'm just not listening to that right now. <laughs> or maybe that's not God. Maybe that's something else. Yeah. I told you to write something. And we hit a dry patch. And I'm sure you can resonate. I mean a dry patch mm. financially. Mm. Just dry. Mm. And I, I tell people after the fact, there were times pastoring multiple congregations that on Wednesday nights I didn't go to prayer meeting because I didn't have money in my car to yes. get to prayer yeah. meeting. Wow. I didn't have gas money. Wow to put get gas in my car to drive to prayer meeting. Mm. That's the type of, yeah. and the thing about pastoral ministry is that you can't say those things. Like you can't mm -hmm. tell people, because mm -hmm. you know, if you're struggling, that means there's something wrong with your faith mm. or what's wrong with your life. And you should have all things together. <laughs> where does it even come from? I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> yeah. But we hit a really dry patch and I remember not having food in the house. And I'm frustrated. I'm talking to God about it. I'm angry. And God says, but didn't I tell you to write something? And I was so angry that that was the response. So we got through. We called some people. We got some help. And voraciously for the next three weeks, I sat down and I finished that book as soon as it was finished. As soon as it was finished, someone called and said, hey, I heard you got a book out. Hmm. We want you to come. We want you to do three or four presentations. We'll buy 100 copies. <laughs> and after that, that was almost the watershed moment for me. Mm. And things have just been moving after that, all because of that obedience piece. Mm. There was this urge. I believe the Holy Spirit was like, I need you to write this thing. Mm. Now, here's the thing. You got to understand with people who have this notion of writing. I was thinking in my head, I'm about to write this New York Times mm. best-selling I don't have any money for that. Mm -hmm. That costs, no one tells you that this stuff right. costs money. It costs thousands of dollars for New York Times best-selling editor, editor to edit your book. Six, seven thousand dollars. Publishing deals. It's twenty, thirty thousand dollars to mm. get your book. It's a lot of marketing that drives. I said, I don't have that. I don't have any money. Mm -hmm. Put it out. Mistakes and all. Mm. You find the mistakes, mm. a month later, mm. Come out with a second edition. You <laughs> Come you out go. with a third edition. But that was really one of the biggest sort of watershed moments in my life where I felt God clearly tell me to do something, and I did it, and I saw tangibly how it just didn't impact my family, but impacted hundreds. I think I've sold thousands of copies, which uh, on average, a, a self-published book hardly ever sells more than 1,000 copies. So even to have that experience, publishing a book for a couple hundred dollars mm. that has literally been across the country mm. and got me on stages in front of thousands of people mm. because God told me right. to write this book. Praise God, praise God. So tell us about the inspiration for this particular book. You had Leading Wild Green yeah. and you, you penned this, this, this one. What was your inspiration behind this and what can a reader expect when they open the pages of this book? So Leading Wild Green, How to Find the Courage to Keep Going was specifically written to me in that space where it's the mantle of leadership has been placed on you. I have no idea what to do next. Leading while scared is you have all the tools, you have all the resources, now you have to make intentional to choices. Mm -hmm. 
that require courage. And I looked at my timeline, my professional timeline, and I realized that there were decisions that I didn't make simply because I was scared. Mm. Not because I didn't have the, not the know-how, the resources, the support. I was flat out scared. And how did staying in that space impact me in the places where I was called to, mm. to live, work, and play? So I said, I'm writing this book now for me, who has to consistently make major decisions and who has neglected to make certain decisions in my life because I was scared. And I remember, I remember clearly one of the stories that I tell in the book was I was in Kentucky, pastoring multiple churches, and this, this leadership development consulting group to say, we want to hire you on a contract basis. Mm. You know, no full commitment, project by project basis, we'll fit everything into your schedule, but we think you would be a valuable asset. You know, the book was out, mm -hmm. I'd spoken a little bit in the city. We think you would add something to this team. And I went and sat down, I think there were about seven or eight people in the room, people who had been in this industry for a long time. Mm. And they said, we want to hire you to come on our team on a contract basis. We'll, we'll, work, we'll do whatever it takes to work around your schedule. And I went home and I sat, about, sat on it for about three days. And I went back and I told them, I said, no, I have too many responsibilities. Mm. You know, this is not going to be fair to my wife, my children, my congregations. I can't take this on. I appreciate the opportunity. And I left the office and I got in the car and I had to wrestle with the fact that I just lied to these people. Mm. The reason why I did not take that opportunity was only because I was scared. Mm. It had nothing to do with my schedule. It had nothing to do with my other responsibilities. My wife told me to do it. Mm. My mentor told me to do it. I was scared. And because I was scared, who knows how. You know, if, if God put me in this capacity to write this book, to get on these people's right. radar. Right. I didn't have faith to believe that he could help me in this, mm. this different space. Mm. And I just talk about when you let fear drive the car, mm. you will always end up in a place that you never intended to go. Mm. And the, the, the spiritual undergirding of the book, really in the, in, in the beginning of the book, it's a, it's a quote, mm. and I don't put the chapter and verse mm. in there for reasons we talked about earlier, but it says be strong and courageous. Mm -hmm. that's, that's said a lot of times in scripture, right. but I'm targeting the Joshua, Joshua version yes. where God says, I'm going to be with you. And for a person of faith, practically living out my faith, says in spite of how I feel, the promise that God says he's going to be with me should be enough to carry me through, especially when I don't feel confident because my confidence doesn't come from myself. The confidence to keep going comes from the promise that God is going to be with me no matter where he sends me. Sure, sure. I love the, you know, when I was reading your book, <clears throat> I'm always thinking of case studies. Yeah. Because in our show we do case studies. I love the story of Joshua mm -hmm. because Joshua is somebody who had big shoes to fill. Yeah. Obviously, Moses died and everyone's looking to him. He's also somebody who had a... He had some credibility because when they went out to the promised land, he was one of the, the two individuals two who would say, who said, hey, we have to be strong and courageous. Moses yeah. commanded us. He gave us these five directives to assess and to bring back the grapes. And the fifth thing was 
be strong, be courageous. Yes. And so he has that moment, and he has, you know, if we go through his story, we see some times where he wasn't necessarily strong. It wasn't about him not being strong, but about him not consulting God, and he realized that as, as powerful as he was as a military tactician, he had to focus on the directive from the Most High. Yeah. Yeah. But when I read it, I came across this passage in Judges chapter 4, and it really, that same story that you mentioned about having this opportunity of a lifetime, <laughs> and the only reason that you turned it down is because you were afraid. So I thought about Barak. Yeah. So in Judges chapter 4, which we've talked about Judges on this show before, we know that the children of Israel, they're in this cycle of futility. We've called it the four R's, the rebellion, retribution, repentance, and redemption. So the children of Israel, they rebel, they're worshiping other idols. Mm -hmm. God sends them retribution in the form of some heathen nation. They enslave them mercilessly for several years. The people cry out, they repent, they say, hey, we'll turn away from our, our idols, we'll turn back to you. And then God redeems them by sending them a judge, delivers them, but when that judge dies, now they're back, wash, rinse, and repeat. So Absolutely. this story, Deborah is the judge who was raised up and she has not only the civil authority as a leader and the judge in, in the deciding cases, but she's also a prophetess. Mm -hmm. She has this religious authority. And so she calls upon Barak. Now, what do we know about Barak? I mean, this, this, this guy seems to kind of come out of nowhere. And he, she calls him to be the person to defeat Sisera and, and Jabin the Canaanites. Yep. A great opportunity for great honor. And he responds in fear. And she rebukes him, saying, hey, you know, if I go with you, which is what his request is, I, you know, he's like, I'll, I'll go and gather my 10,000 forces, but you got to be with me. And she's like, okay, I'll go with you, but you had a chance for honor, and now that's been snatched up for you. What do you think his deal was? Like, obviously, we're speculating from, from, from you know, thousands of years later. But what was his deal, and what can we learn about his rejection of this offer? Obviously, he ends up in Hebrews 11. Mm -hmm. You know, so there was something that, he, that, 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 that brought about redemption. But why do you think he turned this down, and why do you think he was so harshly rebuked for just one moment of weakness? There's a lot of times in our, in our spiritual lives that we pray and we ask God. You know, we, we pray these varying prayers. We ask God, God, can you, will you take care of me? God, will you give me a sign? God, will you open a door for me? God, will you do this? And God does the miraculous, or what we categorize as miraculous, and then we second guess. So when you're looking at Deborah, Deborah is sitting in the place of God as prophetess. She's giving this prophecy because she declares you will be successful. She is the voice of God in this moment. And she says to him, God's agent for this is you. Right. And when he says, okay, I will go. I will, if you go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. It is saying that he believes more in the presence of Deborah than in the words of God. And what happens to us a lot is that when God gives us, when God speaks to us in multiple ways. He speaks to, to us primarily through his word. Some people have audibly heard the voice of God. There's been this impression in your mind. He sent someone else to talk to you or give you a message. A lot of times we miss this window of opportunity because we're looking for co-signers. Hmm. So God told us to do something and we're trying to find, if we're deathly afraid and don't want to do it, hmm. we will keep asking until we find the person that says, no, you probably shouldn't right. do it. And then we say, well, yep, that's God. <laughs> right, that's, right. 
and it's 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 a, a question of faith that says when it is clear and I would suggest that most of us have been in a space where we have received a clear directive mm -hmm. where it is clear the clear directive is both the permission and the guarantee of success and when I say oh I'm not I want to God told me to do this but I'm not going unless you go I am taking the view of authority and power off of God mm -hmm. and I'm putting it on the person mm -hmm. that I'm calling to go with me. And I think in the moment God was saying, and she's speaking on behalf of God is saying, God has given you everything you need to be successful, but because you don't trust him, you won't get out of it. You'll, the victory will still come, but you won't get out of it what God intentionally planned for you to have because you won't trust him all the way. Because that's, that's not to say that Deborah wouldn't have gone. Right. If he says, okay, let's go, Deborah could have turned around and still said, okay, I'm going with you. But because he allowed this, how you're under the tree and people are coming and getting these oracles from you and clearly you're with God. So if you're not with me, I'm not going to be successful. Mm. The power didn't come from Deborah. Right. The power came from the God that gave Deborah the message. Mm. And for Barak, the faith test was, can you go forward even when you can't, when you don't have the tangible thing that you think that you need? I think I need her presence. No, you don't. You need the presence of God. That's why the whole nation was in this spot in the first place. Sure. They're looking for somebody else that says, I got you. And whenever you, God gives you a directive, and I'm not talking about supporters or resources. When God gives you a directive and you say, I'm not going to do it until I find the right cosigner. Hmm. It's really a slap in the face to God. Wow. And, I, I, and that he had to be checked. His check was, hmm. you don't get the honor. You get the victory, but you don't get the honor. Hmm. Some of our checks are, well, you don't even get the opportunity anymore. Hmm. That's like the extreme. Well, right. you don't get to go, I'll send somebody else. And that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. But I love the redemption. And people who talk about, I don't see redemption, or I don't see... I don't see mercy in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. they, they don't read the entire right. because he's listed in Hebrews 11. Mm -hmm. In order for him to be listed in Hebrews 11, something had to happen in the Old Testament for him to say, okay, that wasn't the right move. Some sort of forgiveness and mercy and redemption took place mm -hmm. so that now, as an example of faithfulness, mm -hmm. he's listed, sure. even though in this moment he didn't have faith. Sure, sure, sure. And what a mighty, what a powerful story. I mean, because even though he shows this weakness, he goes out in insurmountable odds. Insurmountable. I, mean, I mean, the general's got his chariots. We know chariots are like tanks and artillery. Yeah. yeah. And I, what I like about the story is that from a military standpoint, going back to Joshua, where he could have used his tactics, they had the high ground. Yeah. And so logic would have dictated, okay, we'll stay high. They have the advantage with their, their hardware. We'll stay up here. And God says, no, you're going to go down because I have to strip away any excuse Absolutely. where you will take some glory for Absolutely. yourself and you have no way of saying, this, is, this, this has to be God. 
And so I think maybe that's where some redemption came. But then we get to jail. And, and, and I don't know. I don't know. For obviously, this is a kid's that's program. A crazy story. <laughs> uh, the book of Judges, there's some stories that are not suitable for children. But jail comes along. They're not going to make a Veggie Tales. Yeah, they're yeah. not going to make a Veggie Tales out of that. Um, but, but contrasting her with, 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 with Barak, where, you know, Barak has this great victory. Sisera escapes his chariot. He's on foot. He's trying to find sanctuary. Uh, we know at that time the men and the women lived separately, so he gets to jail's tent, and jail belongs to a people that is at peace mm-hmm. with the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. And so I always wonder what inspired her to invite the general to come in, and, and he asks for water. She gives him milk. She lay, lays him down, covers him, and goes to watch, goes to watch the door, and then yeah. takes him out, and then kills him. What do you think, in, t- in terms of a leadership standpoint? Do you? Th- it's you know we've we've surmised that yeah. maybe she was being deceptive, as Rahab was, because she didn't know any better. Or some folks have said that she really was authentic, but then she got a directive from the Most High in that moment and, and, and took it to satisfy the prophecy. Mm-hmm. What do you think her head was at in terms of accepting that responsibility and not being afraid in the moment to act? I think something happens when we continue to be receptive to to what God is telling us. Mm. A lot of times we are looking for grand displays of courage. Mm. Rarely does that happen. What happens in most cases is there are incremental Mm. things that happen Mm -hmm. that allow us to build up courage. So when God calls you to do something great, the chances are that along the way, Mm. he has been calling you to do things and you have moved up in your your faith and acceptance of what he's called you to do. What I love about the Bible a lot of times is that it allows the silence of scripture allows us to ruminate and speculate because it doesn't tell us specifically what her backstory is. But there was something about her that when this opportunity presented him, presented itself, she said, "I'm going to take it." And it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Like it makes absolutely no sense that you, uh, a woman in this context, would invite essentially one of the most powerful warriors mm-hmm. into your place. Mm-hmm. Anything could happen to right. you. If we look at it through a Western lens, sure. this is a setup for failure. Yes. But something about what was communicated to her, and we don't know if an angel showed up, we don't know if she heard the voice of the Father, we don't know mm-hmm. what happened. But what we, what we do know is that when the opportunity presented itself, she moved into action. And we see what the outcome is. I think the challenge for us is that we have opportunities that present itself to us on a daily basis. And I'm not talking about some foreign, the general of some foreign nation invading. I'm talking about you're at the gas station. Mm. And God says, yo, just say hi to that brother over there. No, God, I'm not. Well, you prayed over here. You want this super miracle. You want this amazing thing to come down, but you won't do this little thing. I think in our head, I mean, speculation because it's the silence of Scripture, but I think because she was open to the opportunity, when the opportunity presented itself, she was able to take it. A lot of times we pray for God to open a major door, but corresponding with that is, God, when you open the door, help me be prepared. Because how many times the door has been open, she could, he could have walked into the tent, 
or walk by the tent, and she could have closed the tent. Mm -hmm. This is the opportunity. The opportunity to save the nation is walking by. Mm -hmm. She could have just said, no, that's not for me, or I'm too scared, or he might kill me, or anything. Rational, justi justifiable experiences. Mm -hmm. But she was open when the opportunity presented itself. I think more often than not, God presents us the mercies of God, Lamentations 3, mercies of God are new every morning. I think God is actually showering us with opportunities. But because of our fears, our apprehensions, or what somebody else will say, we keep closing the tent. And part of the reason why we keep closing the tent is because incrementally we, we haven't latched on to those that you see somebody at Walmart next to you. God says, just tell them have a good day, that little thing. You trying to conquer DMV and you can't yeah, even say yeah. hi to a person. You want to put the tent stake mm. <laughs> in somebody's head, <laughs> right. but you won't even tell somebody, you know, God bless you or have a good day, a good day. And I think what the key is, and it, the stories mirror each other, because she was willing to step forward in the uncertainty when God opened the door for her. That's the outcome. We are so worried about the outcome. God says the outcome is not your, not in your purview. What's in your purview is doing what I asked you to do. I'll take care of the outcome. Barak, you'll, you'll win. I just need you to be obedient and go. Jail was like, I got it. I'm open the tent, mm -hmm. and whatever happens, happens. And she had the courage to do that. We don't know where the courage came from. We don't know the backstory. But something led up to that moment that when God sent him by her tent, she said, I'm going to open up my tent and I'm going to end this thing. Sure, sure. And it worked out for the nation. We always end our show with a section called self-check where it's introspective tips to the listeners on what they can do to, to, to better themselves, what kind, of, what kind of strategies they can employ in allowing God to find some areas of weakness in their personality in their lives for the better. So what's a couple nuggets from what we've talked about that people can use? And in your book, you have that at the end of each chapter, yeah. kind of some evaluate uh, assessment things. What's a couple nuggets that you can give the listeners? Maybe they're struggling with their leadership and, and being afraid of opportunities. Maybe they're struggling being authentic in their careers. What's a couple of things you can leave the listeners with? I think it's very important. Self-awareness is a big thing. Uh, and in the leadership space, we call it self-awareness. In mm. maybe the faith space, we, we will call it allowing God to reveal to you mm. your areas of challenge or weakness. And I think for every person, we usually have our most difficult times when we're facing a version of ourselves. Mm. What I mean by that is your same hangups, misgivings, mm. I see them in other people and it irritates me because I know it's a reflection of me. Mm -hmm. So I would tell people all the time, in whatever leadership space that you're in, take a, take a few moments and write down, these are the challenges that I'm having. These are the mistakes that I'm making. And how am I responding? A lot of times we don't want to do that inventory because we're afraid of what will be on the paper. Mm. But it's actually that awareness of, these are my struggles and my hangups and my challenges that puts us in the place where we can get help and then puts us in a place where we can help other people. Be very wary of the individual that has tons of advice for everybody hmm. else. But then, when it's time for people to give them advice, 
they don't respond, mm. they're not receptive, they're not understanding. And sometimes that individual is us. <laughs> We're very good, I know what you need to do with your life, mm. X, Y, and Z. This is what you need to fix your family, mm. your health, this is what you need to do to fix your faith. Mm. And I come to you and say, hey, hey bro, I was noticing, or have you ever thought about, and I close myself mm -hmm. off, then what's that, what, what that saying, what's that saying, what that is saying in a secular context is that I'm not self-aware. Mm. What it's saying in a faith, practically spiritual context is that I'm not allowing God to open me up, to, to reveal to me that I need work to do. And the more that you are called to help other people as a leader, the more work that God needs to do on you and you need to be honest. Mm. So every, every month or so, I'll have that self-check. I'll mm. write down, okay, these are your hangups. You gotta work on your attitude. You gotta work on your time management. You have to work on your diet, all the things that will help me be a better leader mm. and then being open to one people because those are not my strengths. Mm. I need to find people who that's their area of strength mm. and be taught and led by them. Mm. And the key to good leadership, you got to be a good follower mm. in the areas that mm. you're struggling. Allow people to teach you. And, the, and from a faith standpoint, in order to be a good leader, you got to be a good follower of Jesus. As much as you're trying to direct people, how much are you letting God direct you? Good stuff, good stuff. Where can we find your book and where can we connect with you? Listeners want to find you and they want to cop this, they want to see your content. Where can we? Yeah, so the best place to find my book is on my website, Pierre, PierreCquinn.com slash scared. PierreCquinn.com slash scared. In the social media space, it's just Pierre Quinn on, on Twitter on LinkedIn, on Facebook, it's Mr. Pierre Quinn. But PierreCQuinn.com slash scared will get you to all the other places. Sure, sure, and I'll put some links in the show notes so you see that. Can you close us out with prayer? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to, to gather here and talk mm -hmm. about practical faith. Uh, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are watching or listening to this podcast, those who are wrestling with where you've called them to be in their lives. Father, we recognize that ministry takes on different forms. So we're grateful for this ministry, grateful for the ministry of this podcast that some people will look at and say, this is an unconventional way to reach people for the kingdom. So for my brothers and sisters who are not pastors, who are not working in a church in a formalized capacity, but who feel a distinct calling on their life to help people and to share the gospel, I pray God that with Every avenue you've given to them through song, through drama, through writing, through conversations at Walmart, mm. that you will equip them with what they need and remind them of what you told to Joshua, that they need to be strong and courageous because you will be with them. For my brothers and sisters who are watching or listening or who are going through a difficult time, I pray God that you remind them that everything that they need to be successful, that you have it. Mm and it's through a relationship with you that they will get to where they need to be. Give them additional opportunities to live their faith practically. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for watching, listening, and we'll catch you next month. Good stuff, brother.